Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and along with the fellowship of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut, we welcome you to this edition of Shi'ar Jashub. Today we will be continuing the Heavenly Authority series taught by my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo. The current sermon is from 2 Samuel, and when we left off last time, Pastor was in chapter 11. David is desperately trying to cover over his sin of adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who is carrying David's child. Unsuccessful in getting Uriah to return home to Bathsheba, David now sends a letter to Joab, his general. So let's rejoin Pastor Greg. Verse 15, And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest, the fiercest battle, and retreat from him, how cowardly, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. And Joab goes right along. Joab is loyal. But this is not a righteous loyalty. This is misplaced loyalty to authority. This is obedience to David when he should not obey because he's breaking the command of God. Remember how Peter, in Acts chapter 4, when the Sanhedrin orders them not to teach, not to speak in the name of Jesus, Peter and John answer, and they tell the Sanhedrin, they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. There's a certain point that we're not loyal if we're going against God to obey men. So unlike Uriah's well-placed loyalty, Joab, who is the pragmatist, who is the practical general, which you read about as you study the life of Joab, he has a misplaced loyalty. He has an unrighteous loyalty because he will go against God for the sake of the moment, for the sake of what the king tells him. He doesn't mind doing a little sleazy stuff. He's the employee that you can trust to do all the dirty work. And it's a stain upon his character. What a act of disloyalty. They know Uriah will go, no, no matter how difficult the spot is, he can send Uriah in and Uriah will go. And verse 17, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. In setting Uriah up, other people die as well. Whoever's with Uriah, when they pull back and they send them to a section they should not send them to, there are other casualties. Look at the result of sin and covering over sin. So Uriah is dead, and no one's going to know that the child is David's. David's sin is covered over because Bathsheba can just say, well, that was Uriah when he came home, and it's hidden, and David will get away with it. He thinks. But is it forgotten? What has David forgotten here in all this elaborate trapping? Maybe better phrased, who has David forgotten here? 
David's forgotten God. He's forgotten the one who sees. You can fool men. You can set up circumstances to look a certain way. But you can't fool God. David, who praises the might of God, forgets the fact that he sees everything. And even if you fool everyone else, you cannot fool him. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 18, Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city? When you fought, did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? And he says, Who struck Abimelech? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall? In other words, he's going back to the son of Gideon. We studied that in Judges, who got killed because he was too close to the wall, the wall of the city. If David's mad because of this uh, ineptness on the part of the military leaders to send the people so close when we know better, then you shall say your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Joab gets the message to David, this is not my ineptness that some of our people were killed. Don't get mad at me. Uriah is dead. I did what you told me to do. And he gets the message to David through the messenger. Verse 22, so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now David understands. He could have really been mad at Joab for doing such a stupid thing, but now he understands that this was Joab's way of carrying out his orders. And what does he say in verse 25? Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. See, David's got a good heart. Encourage Joab. He, you know, people die in war. These are the things that happen. Phony. He sounds phony, right? David, who gives us the words of Scripture here in sin and in the covering up of sin, sounds phony. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Verse 27, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Literally, if you look in your margins, that word displeased is, was evil in the sight of the Lord. What David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. He takes her in, he provides for her, she has this child, he's going to adopt the child, though it's his child. Everyone thinks it's Uriah's. The thing that, that David had done was evil in the sight God sees. He sees it all, and it's evil to him. 
and sin to God never remains covered. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And David here will be judged. He's an adulterer, and he's a murderer, and he's a murderer of innocence, of the innocent. And though David will repent and be brought back into the sweet fellowship of God, there will be a terrible reaping in his family as a consequence of his sin. Let's quickly read about that in chapter 12, how God deals with David. How does he get through to David? David thinks he's successful here. And he does it by the hand of Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet, who had brought the wonderful messianic prophecy to David, that from his own flesh the Messiah will come. God will build a house. God will establish his kingdom. God will establish his throne forever. How many times in the church we want to hear the good stuff? We want to hear the blessed promises of God. We're open to hearing what Nathan has to say of the things that are good for us, that are wonderful and nice and speak beautiful light. But when it comes to the things of rebuking, of chastising, of correcting us for what we do wrong, we cover our ears and we don't want to hear that. We'll listen to the nice part of prophecy, but we will not listen to the correcting voice of God when we've sinned. Here, Nathan, the one who brought the good message, now brings the correcting message, the message of judgment. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. He's going to use a parable. He's going to use a parable about someone else. Why? Why doesn't he just come to David? Why does he use the parable? There were two men in one city. David doesn't know it's a parable. He thinks this is actually happening in his kingdom. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It's like a family pet. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, he's using these animals, obviously, symbolically. This poor man cares for this little lamb. Uriah cared for Bathsheba. And a traveler came, verse 4, to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock. The hospitality of that day would be to provide for the traveler. And from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. He had all these herds. He won't touch his own. He grabs from the poor man. The prophet has to go no further. Verse 5, so David's anger, his anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Doesn't make a difference, he's a rich man. No bias in David's judgment. A horrible thing has been done in my kingdom. This man must die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, 
because he did this thing and because he had no pity. He had no pity. David righteously judges. He rightly judges. What a merciless act to do. But if it was merciless to do that with a little pet, how much more merciless was it to do what he did to steal Uriah's wife and then kill him for it and kill others with him? He's a man of war. He knows when you make such a comment, withdraw the troops, you're placing other men in danger also. There are some, and I think this is the reason God sends Nathan in this way to David. There are some who never see how things apply to themselves. They are great at seeing the correction that God gives to others. They are wonderful at applying it to other people. David here understands the righteous decrees of God as it applies to others. This man stole. You don't steal. But David stole. And yet he doesn't apply it to himself. We value your comments, and it is always a blessing to hear from our radio family to know if our program has helped you in your walk with the Lord. All correspondence should be mailed to Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Also, let me invite you to our Sunday service. Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle meets at 10 a.m. at the Madison Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Take exit 61 off I-95. Go south to Route 1, turn right, and at the next light, turn right again. Please join us next time for Shi'ar Jeshub.